At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today we're going to be continuing a sermon series that we began a number of weeks ago called The Lord of the New Heaven and Earth. This series is anchored in the last four chapters in the Bible, Revelation 19 through 22, as we see the culmination of all things. And as we've walked through this series, we've been reminded through a number of series from the book of Revelation throughout 2022 here at Wildwood, that this is a revelation of who? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so today, our hope, not only in seeing more of what the Lord has for us in the future, is also to understand who the Lord is in this moment so that we might trust him more and more with our lives. So today, we're going to be in part six of this series as we look at Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 27. That's where we're going to be this morning. But before we we look at those verses together, I want to kind of set the table for the topic that we're going to discuss. And and I want to do that by sharing with you a statement. It's not unique to me or original to me. You probably have heard it before. But the statement goes something like this. If you own a house, it will own you. If you own a house, it will own you. Now, in, in what way is that true? Well, I think that the sentiment behind that is that the things that we own break and need repair and need care. And so if there is something that is on our ledger, we we have to provide care for it. And the things that we are in possession of need a lot of care, don't they? Uh, Just in the last month in the Robinson house, we have had a tub spout break, a toilet break, a deck that is rotting, an army that is being attacked, or a, a yard that is being attacked by army worms. I mean, this is just in the last month. And so when I think of the statement, own a house and it will own you, it has a very specific application in our life right now. And for some of you, I see your heads nodding. You've got your own issues that you're dealing with in the thing that you own as well. But some of you are like, well, Mark, that's why I don't own a house. I don't want it to own me. And I get it. But what about your car? How how are your vehicles doing? They also are in need, aren't they? I've got a car right now that's got a check engine soon light. How soon? I don't know, but it needs attention. Catalytic converters that are out on that vehicle. And so we have to deal with those things. And some of you are like, well, yeah, pastor, that's why I don't have a car or a house. So my question to you is, how's your body doing? How's your physical body doing? Now, those of you under 20 are like, I'm fine. But the rest of us, Our bodies are experiencing some challenges, aren't they? We're not quite the same as we once were. See, friends, we live in a world that is broken and that is breaking, and we have reminders of it all around us. I don't know if you've ever had a moment as you're dealing with this broken and breaking world where you're like, Lord, I just long for a time when everything works, when everything is just right. Well, if that is a sentiment you have ever had, or your car, or your house, or your body, or all three, or something else. Remember the words that Jesus said last week as we looked at Revelation 21, verse 5. Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. 
There is coming a day when Jesus is going to make all things new. It's not this day, but there is a coming day when Jesus will make all things new, and when he does, they will not break again. They will need no upgrade or replacement because they will be as good as can be. That's the world that Jesus is preparing us for, and that's the world that we're exploring as we look at the new heaven and the new earth that is described in Revelation 19 through 22. And today we're going to look at part six of this series as we look at chapter 21, verses 9 through 27, specifically looking at the city that the Lord has prepared for you and me in eternity. And so if you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to Revelation 21. I want to read for us these verses, and then after I I read them, I I want to back up and, and have us have a chance to explore them in a couple of movements together. So, We'll begin in Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 9. It says, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear crystal. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and each of the gates made of a single pearl. In the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, in these many verses that I just read, we see a description of this amazing place in the new heaven and the new earth. I want to explore it a little bit with us today and see two things. The first thing I want us to do is I want us to take a tour of our future home. 
I want us to take a tour of our future home. Friends, what we just read is a description of our future home if we have trusted in Christ. It is where we will be one day. You know, some have a hobby of going on to Zillow and gawking at other people's homes. Maybe that's you. Sometimes it might even be me. But friends, the home that we just read is not a home just for us to gawk at, a home for someone else. It's the home that God has prepared for us. It's our future place. Now, what do we learn about this future home that God has for us? Well, one of the things we learn is that it is a beautiful representation of God's provision to us. In chapter 21, verse 9, we we saw how God sends an angel to gather John up and to take him up on a hillside so that he might see the city that he has prepared for us. God wants us to know about it. Now, these words might look familiar to you because they are very similar to the words that we saw last summer when we were in Revelation 17, verse 1, when John was taken and shown a vision by a same angel of the world system represented as a prostitute. What is it that God wants us to see and understand in this moment? God wants us to be aware of the world system that is fleeting, that is not committed, and that ultimately will disappoint. But God also wants us to see his committed relationship to us and for us to take note of it so that we would lean into him and not into the system of this world. God wants to make sure that we are aware of what he has provided. So what is it that God has provided for us? Well, he describes it as a city, a new Jerusalem, our future home. What is it about this new Jerusalem that we find out in these verses? Well, one of the things that we find out is that the glory of God radiates from it. It says in verse 11, having the glory of God, it's radiance like a most rare jewel. The city radiates with the glory of God. What does that look like? I don't know exactly, but don't you want to see it? What would it look like for something to radiate with the glory of God? Friends, that is our future home. Not only does it radiate with the glory of God, it also is surrounded by a very high wall. Uh, We see this in in verses 12 and 17. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates were 12 angels, and the wall measured 144 cubits. So what is the deal with this great high wall that is 144 cubits, probably thick, 144 cubits, about three-fourths of a football field, about 72 yards thick? Why in the world would this beautiful city have a wall that thick and that high around it? And what's up with these angels who are there? Well, friends, let's think like a first century resident for a moment. What would the wall have represented to a first century person around their city? It would have represented what? Protection. That's exactly right, Eva. Good. Very good. It would would represent protection. And no one would want to reside in a city that wasn't protected, that wasn't safe. That was part of the motivation to move into cities in the ancient world. When 
John sees this future home. He sees this big, thick wall around it, reminding us that we are forever safe and protected. And there are many gates, but those gates are guarded by angels. Again, a reminder that this is a protected place. Friends, I don't know if if you feel safe in all of the environments that you inhabit in this world. My guess is there's at least one place where you feel a little uneasy. When we get to our eternal home, it will absolutely be protected. That feeling of uneasiness will be gone forever because God has prepared a protected and a safe place for us to be forever. Not only do we see that it's surrounded by a high wall and the glory of God is emanating from it, but also it has many gates. It has many gates, 12 gates to be precise, verse 12 tells us. And these gates will always be open and will never be shut. Now, let's think about this for a moment. What is the purpose of a gate? It's not protection, it is access. It's access. So in the city that God has prepared, not only is it protected, but also it is accessible. God is inviting us to come inside. It has three gates in every direction, inviting the peoples of the world who have trusted in Christ to come into it and have fellowship with God forever. You put these two ideas together, There's the representation of the protection in the wall, but the the number of gates and the fact that they are always open lets us know that security really isn't the main concern. Why? Because God has taken care of all of the threats. And so we have this city that is prepared for us with his glory and with a wall and with these gates. But what else do we see? We also see that this city has a, a firm foundation, 12 foundations, to be precise, are described in verse 14. What does the foundation provide? Well, it provides a sense of permanence. That's what the foundation gives. It's going to be around for a while. And this city that God has prepared is going to be around forever and ever. It's a part of an eternal environment that will never need to be replaced. It is resting on a solid foundation. Friends, so many things that we're aware of in life are transient, aren't they? They're here today and they're gone the next. Even the most sturdy of structures struggle when facing a Category 5 hurricane or an F5 tornado, much less an 8 earthquake. But there is coming a city that is on such a firm foundation that it is permanent. If you long for something that you can count of on, look to the Lord who can provide the stability that our lives need. Have him be your foundation and you will never be shaken. That's the picture here. God's glory, a high wall, many gates, a firm foundation. And I think of this foundation, it reminds me of what is said in Hebrews 11. You might be familiar that Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the hall of faith because it walks through a number of Old Testament people and their experience of relating to God in the Old Testament days. And one of the people that is highlighted is Abraham. And Abraham, remember, left his home and proceeded to the, to the city or the place that God had promised him. But verse 10 tells us something interesting about Abraham. It says, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Friends, Abraham never found that home. 
Abraham was looking for the new Jerusalem home. And friends, as we look for stability in our lives, we are looking for something that we will not find here, but we will find anchored in eternity. God has provided a permanence for us in himself and in the place that he has prepared. If we want our lives anchored to solid rock, we need to be on the foundation of Christ. It's pictured here in the New Jerusalem. But not only does it have a firm foundation, but also it is enormous in its size. It's enormous in its size. You know, the the angel brings a golden ruler to the table. Now that's pretty cool, right? We have like a broken yardstick in our house. There's a golden ruler that comes. And this golden ruler is is brought out to measure the city that is laid out. And and the description is that this this city is 12,000 stadia in a cube. The same width as it is long as it is tall. And it says that it's 12,000 stadia. Now, how big is 12,000 stadia? Well, it's somewhere between 1,400 and 1,500 miles. So how big is a city that size? Well, let's just imagine what it would look like in comparison to the size of the United States with Oklahoma as our reference point. What does 1,500 square look like from Oklahoma? Well, it would be a city that would go from Oklahoma to the East Coast and up to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Now, that's a big city in its footprint. But friends, that isn't even the half of it. It's also fourteen to 1,500 miles tall. We have no reference for how tall that really is. You know what the edge of the Earth's atmosphere is? 62 miles. There's this imaginary line, if you go up 62 miles, that beyond that, you're in outer space. And this city is not only 14, 1,500 miles wide, it's 14 to 1,500 miles tall. That's 25 times the edge of the earth's atmosphere in its size. So this new Jerusalem is enormous in its size and in its scope. But not only is it just big, but it's also tremendously beautiful. You know, when John goes to describe it, He has to say things, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like that. We saw this in his descriptions of heaven earlier in the book. It's because the words and our experiences in this life don't do justice to the beauty of the things that are to come. But friends, it is no doubt beautiful because everything he uses to describe it are all the most beautiful things that John would have been aware of. The whole city That 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile cube, it's all gold, but it's it's clear like glass. What does that even mean? I don't know, but it is amazing. He's using all of the, the language that he had at his disposal. Those foundations that we were talking about, they're they're encrusted in jewels. The walls like jasper. It's just describing this, this beautiful place. The gates are like gigantic pearls hollowed out for us to walk through. That's the best that he can do to describe it, but he's talking about such a beautiful place. And it's interesting that the beauty that he describes is a multi-hued beauty. You know, sometimes when we think of heaven, we think it looks a little like an Apple store, right? It's just like this monochrome white with maybe a slightly different white as an accent. That's what we think. 
That is not the picture of the new heaven and the new earth. That's not the picture of the new Jerusalem. All of those jewels were different colors. The beauty of God demonstrated. The people who enter into that city, different colors. The city itself, different colors. Our God is beautiful and creative, and he will be celebrated for those things in eternity. Amen? What an amazing picture we have here of the beauty of our God. So what does all of that tell us? What does all of that tell us? Well, it, it tells us way more than I'm going to be able to describe, but let me point out a few things that I think are significant for us to see. The first thing I think it tells us is this. Our God is generous and gracious. Our God is generous and he is gracious. Can you all say that with me? Our God is generous and gracious. Now, where do we see that in the passage? Well, where does this city come from? It came from God. It came down out of heaven from him for us. And God is so excited about this gift of this city for us that he's given us a 2,000-year coming attraction on it. 2,000 years ago, he sent an angel to go gather John up and bring him to a mountain and describe the best of what he saw just so that for 2,000 years we could look forward to this city that is a representation of God's creation. But friends, it's even better than that. Everything that we have experienced in this life of God's beauty is prepping us for something that is even better that is coming to take its place. And God is giving it to us, not because of our works, but because of his grace. What an amazing, amazing thought. Friends, it would be amazing if God was gracious enough just to save us from the fires of hell. But he's not just gracious, he's also generous to give us a place like this where we might reside forever and ever. We see that God is both generous and gracious in this description. The second thing, though, that we see is this. Our God is a God of beauty. Again, he does not make this a, a flat, plain, boring environment, but it's something that is just popping off of the page. It's something that we will enjoy forever and ever. We're not going to get tired of this place. It's not going to break down. It's not going to have any issues, and it's going to be absolutely beautiful in its construction. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says, our God is a God of beauty, and he will lavish his beauty on the city he is preparing for his people. Friends, our God is a God of beauty, and he will use that beauty and that creativity to prepare a place for us. Remarkable. Third thing that I think we need to remember, though, is this. Our God has enough space for us. Our God has enough space for us. You know, it's interesting. Jesus had a conversation with his disciples on the night before he went to the cross, and and he said this. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If, if, if that's not so, I wouldn't tell you, but I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may also be. Jesus was letting us know that there's enough space in his father's house for each of us. And that is what we see in the new Jerusalem. It is a place sufficient for us. Now, before I, I showed you a picture of our world so that we might have a sense of how big the new Jerusalem was, but let's not think like us for a moment. Let's think like the Apostle John. 
The Apostle John also hears this 12,000 stadia. How would he have interpreted that? What would his perspective have been about a city that was 1,400 miles cubed? Well, the distance of 1,400 miles would stretch from Jerusalem to Rome. What's the significance of that? That's pretty much his whole world. He had started his life here. He was imprisoned over here on the Isle of Patmos. But the edge of the world, as far as he really knew much about, was in Rome. And so this picture is saying, God is making a city that is the size of your world, John. And not only is it the size of the world and the footprint, but it's 1,400 miles tall so that all of the generations from all of the world who have trusted in Christ would have an opportunity to fellowship there together. What an amazing statement. What an amazing promise. And it lets us know, and you and I even today, that the house that the Lord has prepared for us has enough room for us. And God has invited us to be with him there forever. There's a fourth thing that I think we need to remember. And that fourth thing we need to remember is this. Our God has made a way for us to be cleansed and connected to him. So how is it that you and I might be able to enter into this city and have a confidence that we could be in this place forever and ever? It's not on the basis of our performance because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How then can we enter a city this clean if we are that dirty? Well, it happens on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. God has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that all who are trusting in him might have our sins cleansed and might have our name in his book that we would have the hope of spending an eternity with him there. Friends, if, if you are, are here today and you hear this description and you think, wow, I would love to see that city, consider this your invitation, friends. There is a room prepared for you, but your way in is not on the basis of your performance or your good deeds or even your church attendance. Your way in is on the basis of what Jesus has done for you Will you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If you do, not only do we have the privilege of following him in this life, but also we have the hope of being with him forever here. Friends, this is the picture that we see as we take a, a tour of our future home. But there's a second thing that is really critical and important for us to see, not just a tour of our future home, but also a reminder of our future fellowship. A reminder of our future fellowship. As amazing as this description is of the physical attributes of the New Jerusalem, who's going to be there? Well, we, we see some reminders of who is going to be there. The first thing that we are reminded of as far as who is going to be there is that Israel will be there. And we see this in the description of the gates. Uh, on the gates are the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. God made a promise to his people saying that he would live in relationship with them. And that was true of people of the past, like Daniel and Elijah and Esther and others, Moses, Abraham. But it will also be true of those from Jewish descent who turned to Christ in this age and also those of Jewish descent who will turn to Christ in the time immediately preceding his return. God will, in a special way, make good on his promises to the nation of Israel 
and their name is written on the gates. But not only will they be there, but also the church will be there. It says that these 12 foundations around the wall have names of the 12 apostles written on them. This is a reminder that it's not just a place for Israel, but it's also a place for people from other ethnicities who have trusted in Christ and thus are a part of the true church of Jesus Christ, a part of following the Lamb. Just as the disciples were, if we have trusted in Christ, we have a home in this city as well. And it's just an amazing thing for us to think about, isn't it? You know, in this city, there will be Elijah, and if you've trusted in Christ, you. If you've ever wanted to talk to Elijah about what it was like on Mount Carmel that day, if you've trusted in Christ, you're going to have that chance. If you've ever wanted to ask Esther how it felt in those moments when she had to go before the king and stand up for her people, you'll have that opportunity if you've trusted in Christ as well as people from all generations, as this city is a a melting pot city of the Jews and the church together. I love the description that is listed in 21-24, that in this eternal era, there will be people from every nation, even kings from the past, from this age and age to come, those who have trusted in Christ and lived their lives with different nationalities and ethnicities will come to this city that day and be joined together among the people of God. What an amazing picture that is. They will be there not to celebrate themselves, they'll be there to celebrate their creator God. By mentioning the different nations, we we can picture this as people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every era. They're they're coming in in all of their multi-hued skin and maybe even different fashion coming into this city, giving praise and honor to God. Friends, I I don't know uh, if you've ever thought about the promise we have as it relates to world missions. We're engaged in taking the gospel around the earth in part because we have been commanded to do so. But we are commanded to do so with a promise accompanying that. One day, there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who will have trusted Christ and will be walking into this city giving him glory and honor. Every missionary that is sharing the gospel is looking forward to this day. Every church that is sending people to the world or sharing Christ with our neighbor is looking forward to this day when the response to the gospel will be celebrated with people coming into this city, bringing their glory into it, and honoring Christ. This is where it is all headed. I I think it's amazing when we think of this, though. It's not just the people who are there, but it's God himself who is there as well. I mean, honestly, I've, I've buried the lead, haven't I? This city, we talked about what it looks like in its physical dimensions. We've talked about who's there, Jew and Gentile, the church. We've talked about all those things. But really, the highlight of the city is the fact that God himself is there. Revelation 21, 22, I saw no temple in the city. Every ancient city, they had temples. They had a little house where, where their idols sat, a representation of their God and his symbolic presence with them. But in the new Jerusalem, there is no temple. Why? Because it's not a symbol of God with his people. 
but God himself will be with his people. The whole city is the temple because God himself is dwelling there. This is what we saw last week in 21 verse 3. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God dwelling with us. That is the highlight of the city, God with us. This is what Jim Hamilton mentions in his commentary. It really helps us to drive this home. He says, the treasure in the new heaven and the new earth is God. Look at how casually what is treasured by sinful hearts is used in the new heaven and the new earth. They take the largest pearls in the world and make them into gates. Then they leave the gates open, even though the city is made of pure gold. And they have the audacity to take all of that jasper and build it into a wall and all that gold and to use it to pave streets. All this shows that the real treasure of the new heaven and the new earth is God himself. Wow. We have the hope of not just being in a beautiful place and not just being in a beautiful place together, but being in a beautiful place together with God himself. And when God is present, he will light that place up. Remember, when in this world, we have the sun, the moon, and the stars, but before God ushers in the new heaven and new earth, everything that we know in the heavens goes away. So what does God replace it with? Does he replace it with a sun (laughs) 2.0? No. He replaces it with the son of God, who himself is what provides the light that the city needs. The glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the lamb. It is Jesus. And, And because the light is Jesus, it says there will be no night there because Jesus never sets. He never rests. He never goes below the horizon. He will never disappear from view. He will illuminate this world in all of its glory forever and ever and ever. Friends, God will be there and we will be there with him. Now, how is it that we respond to this message? I want to share a couple of thoughts about how we might respond. The first response is this. We need to know that this world is temporary. So we should live for what lasts. This world that we live in right now is temporary. But God has shown us a picture of this beautiful city with its foundations and with God there so that we would know what will never set and what will always last and what can absolutely be depended upon. You know, this world has a lot of beauty in it. It really does. How many of you like sunsets? Okay, there's a few of you who are thinking rightly about the universe. Uh, Sunsets are amazing, especially in this part of the world. I love the sunsets in Oklahoma, especially in the fall. But when you think of the sun setting, how many of you have ever been watching the sunset and as it goes down and the sky has this amazing brilliance, don't you ever just want to hit the pause button? Just stop right here. I just want to take in this moment, not for, for 60 seconds, but for the rest of my days the glorious vision that is there. But then it goes dark. That's what this world does. It gives us hints of God's beauty and greatness. And then it goes away. There's a coming day when the beauty of God will be on full display and will never, ever set. The beauty now is to prep us to trust him so that we would be a part of his beauty that never ends. 
Will we trust Christ now so that we might enjoy his provision? The first thing. The second thing I think we need to think about as we consider how we respond is this. Bring your glory to him. Bring your glory to him. What are the kings doing in eternity? Those that have trusted in Christ will will bring the best of their culture, the best of their experience, the the best of their thoughts, whatever. They They will come into the holy city and they will lay it all before Jesus and they will say, thank you for all of this. And it will magnify and add to the glory of God in that day. If that's where all of this is headed, friends, should we not live our lives in a similar way now? Should we not live our lives bringing whatever glory we experience and bounce it back to God? Something goes well? You have enough to eat for lunch today? The prayer is not the starting gun of the meal. The prayer before your meal is an expression of God, thank you. You have gloriously given to us food to eat today. We bring that glory back to you, that you might be honored as we eat this meal and you might provide for our bodies in this way. The same with our achievements, the same with our activities. May we take the best of whatever we have and bring it back to him that he might be honored and glorified by it. Friends, we need to be reminded of our future fellowship with God and with each other in the future home that he has prepared for us. Now, I want to end this message by by sharing with you a really an amazing quote. It was written by C.S. Lewis many years ago at the end of his Chronicles of Narnia series, a series of books he wrote, this allegory about this, this land called Narnia to communicate great truths about God and his relationship with his people. And he ends uh, the last battle book with, with this idea, this statement. He says, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they have all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Friends, when we look at Revelation, we think of it as the end. And in some senses, it is. But it's just the cover page and the title page of the story that God is going to write forever. What exactly will eternity be like in this new heaven and earth and the new Jerusalem? We don't know exactly, but we know it will be amazing. And God has left that little bit of mystery so that we might lean in as we prepare to enjoy him forever. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for the hope that we have seen inside of these verses today. We pray that you would calibrate our hearts to look forward to your provision for all time, that we would live not for that which decays and breaks today, but that we would live our lives for that which is eternal, that we would see your generosity and your grace, and it would woo our hearts to trust you and obey you and follow you more and more in our lives today. Lord Jesus, thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.